0: Open up your books, you Bad Apples. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. I'm Lucas Nord. And I'm Cole
1: Lang, and we're back with a classic, a scary one.
0: The oldest, not only the oldest, um, you know, book of horrors in history, but the oldest book in general, I'm pretty sure Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, Which is what we're covering if you read the title, and if you're listening, thanks. Um, Yeah, 1818, I believe it was the first book ever invented on top of everything else too, which is very interesting.
1: Yeah, the Gutenberg Press, that's when it first rolled out, was 1818, and Mary Shelley said, I'm going to make a scary book, and that was pretty much all there was to it, and... First book and then after this came the bible god was so inspired by the creation of life he created uh, the story of adam and eve so in genesis so. incredible
0: yeah,
1: see the more you know
0: yeah the more you know when you just when you learn the background to stuff like that then it just really makes you view the story through a whole different perspective i i agree but enough crap we said it right away we're here to talk about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Literally, everyone with ears has heard the name. They picture Boris Karloff in the, mm, I think, 19th, 1930. 1930. He's got the yep. giant head with the horrible haircut and the bolts in the side of his neck and the platform shoes. I may actually be picturing Fred Gwynn playing Frankenstein on the Munsters. Any Munster fans out there? uh that show kicks ass
1: that that show's fun yeah it Uh, is are you more of a monsters guy or adam's family
0: you know i gotta tell you what i have a lot of fond memories watching the monsters growing up um probably a little bit of adam's family stuff too i don't remember it quite so well but holy crap those uh those movies from the 90s the adam's family and adam's family values are two of my favorite movies
1: I haven't seen them in a very long time, so oh. I'll have to go and re-watch them.
0: I would certainly recommend giving it a watch, but um, before we got into this debaucherous tale of woe, Cole, did you perhaps have a bit of background on the author? Mary Shelley, or the modern goth girlfriend. She has a great name, too. I was thinking about it on the way to work yesterday. Bob Smith's Frankenstein does not sound as good, you know. Stephanie Berger's Frankenstein. That doesn't roll off the tongue, but Mary Shelley, man. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I don't even like saying the title alone. Just Frankenstein. Or, as we said before, um, another title for the book is The Modern Prometheus, which is also a very good title. I agree that that was my little joke there or the
1: modern goth, uh, author, girlfriend author, what?
0: she, oh yeah, yeah, there we go. Not only the writer of the first book, but also the original goth girlfriend. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. So she was born on August 30th, 1797. So she would have been 199 years old when I was born uh happy birthday. And she was born in London to a father who was a political philosopher. And he was one of the first people in like modern history to come up with the idea of like anarchism. Anarchists, they don't believe in anything, as uh Walter would say.
0: Well, that was nihilists actually. Ah shit. From the big Lebowski. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh man. All right. Scratch that. <laughs> scratch that. um, uh, Yeah. So, not quite sure what he meant by like, you know, what he believes in anarchy. Okay, you don't believe in any govern governing body. You don't believe in that. Yep. And she also obviously had a mother. Uh, what? And, uh, yeah. Uh, Mary Shelley was not uh, animated at birth you know she, she had a
0: mom she wasn't just stitched together from old decrepit flesh and brought to life you know we really <laughs> see it with the authors here where yeah. of the parts
1: of their life just bleeds through yeah but, uh, <laughs> and
0: let me just say too I'm so sorry up top for anyone that didn't know that this is a book about <laughs> a bunch of decayed flesh being uh, stitched together and animated you know like i said i i want people who aren't going to read the book to be able to hopefully be able to follow the story along with us fine but like i said i really hope i didn't just spoil the entire thing for everyone yeah
1: oopsies spoiler <laughs> alert <laughs> yeah um so her mom was a major leader in the uh british feminist movement uh, she wrote multiple books about it, uh, but unfortunately, she died a month after giving birth to Mary. As a young girl, Mary really enjoyed reading. Like, you know, she was privileged in some ways with her education. Like, she re- received more education than most, but it wasn't like anything spectacular. She just uh, read a lot and she eventually started writing stories. When she did reading, she actually did a lot of it by her mother's grave. So, wow, death, yeah, death really played a part in the first part of her life, and well, throughout her life, really. And soon she was sent to live in Scotland, with one of her father's friends, and here she met Percy Shelley. Uh, this was a philosopher student of her father's, who was he was already married. So, uh, they start seeing each other and, uh, he comes from like a very rich background, but he's like a student of, uh, this anarchist who is Mary Shelley's father. Uh, and with these ideas that he, uh, kind of evolved, he kind of evolved into like, uh, modern day socialism, I guess, like giving large amounts of their wealth to the poor and his parents were like uh you don't think that way and they just basically said we're not giving you any money oh Uh, so yeah they cut him from uh any kind of income that'll happen Yep, but uh her or him and mary they get along pretty well uh you know despite him being like 21 and i think she's 15 at the time but he's married and yeah but different different times times. (laughs) yep uh but this is the cool part where it's just like i want a date like this they start meeting up in graveyards and having dates there
0: that oh yeah is pretty exciting um kind of weird but my first question is between the two who do you think proposed the graveyard date Gotta go with Mary. Here. She was like, I mean, <laughs> you know, I live right next to a graveyard. It's nice and quiet in there. There's some cool-looking headstones.
1: Yeah, you know, I guess you're kind of cool. <laughs> um, you know, I've been watching a lot of the uh, Twin Peaks lately, and, uh, you know, I just want to know what your thoughts are. Yeah. while we discuss in the graveyards. I'm a little obsessed with death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally normal. I'm not going to write a book about it one day. Are you actually watching Twin Peaks? No, but it's one of those shows I want to start once my life starts uh, slowing down and school is done. There you go. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, like uh, this man is still like a student of uh, her father's and yeah, her father, you know, he he made a few publications, but he's not doing so well with money. And he doesn't like the relationship because he finds out that Percy, this, you know, rich kid, is unable to pay his own debts because he's like, oh, yeah, he, my daughter's going to marry, you know, this uh, sugar daddy, and I'm going to be able to erase, like, all my debts and build some wealth finally. Uh, because all I've been doing is talking about philosophy my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> so he's very disappointed that Percy doesn't have access to his own wealth. So in response to this, uh, Mary uh, decides to travel Europe along with uh, her stepsister. So it's it's like uh, her and her stepsister and Percy. And they decide to travel around europe and this is in 1815 and they have little money and they face the loss of their first child uh that was lost within like the first month of birth uh after birth and this causes depression
0: for mary obviously and this will happen multiple times actually let me just stick a pin in this real quick an interesting thing you just mentioned there is that You said her, Percy, and her sister went traveling, and it's funny because up to the point I'm at in the book so far, traveling is a very large part, and for some reason, I'm still staggered hearing about such a minute detail. You know, obviously, being a part of someone's life, and I suppose back then, too, traveling like that would have been the only way to get around it takes you three days to get 10 miles or whatever and all that kind of stuff but like i said i had to stick a pin in it because uh it's pretty cool yeah
1: yeah i agree a lot a lot of this stuff mirrors uh her travels especially this part this uh part that i'm about to get into yeah she's just making her way down to geneva but she's making her way through germany at this point and it's actually very close to where i'm at which I need to do a little pilgrimage Ooh. for uh, for this book. Check out some castles. Castles and a few other things. Um, so, while traveling down the Rhine River, which is a very nice river, I have a lot, lot of scenic stuff around the Rhine. It's wine country, and it's just rolling hills, and just uh, very beautiful around the Rhine. And uh, she stops in a town named Gernsheim, which is located about ten miles from uh, this little castle called Berg Frankenstein. So, this is the literal translation of uh, Frankenstein is just "Stone of the Franks." Stein being stone, and Franks being the Germanic uh, people of parts of Germany and France. Cool. Yeah, very neat, but uh, she never really, like, directly references this castle, but it it is thought, like, maybe she passed through this little town named Gernsheim, and she heard of the castle along her passing, and uh, it is thought to have, like, inspired the name of the main character as well in this book, and there was also an alchemist there who practiced there on cadavers, but... This was pretty common for the time for these, like, alchemists to be trying to find the elixirs of life and, you know, soul transfers between bodies and, like, all this crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, But pretty fun. Um, So, I mean, it could have, but most likely, like, she just heard of the castle and was like, that's a cool name and went with it. And so soon she reaches Lake Geneva, Switzerland, and here she hangs out with some other writers that would share scary stories, and they would often uh, talk about, like, cults and uh, weird topics like galvanism, which is, you know, if you stick, like, electrical wires to a, like a toad or whatever and send it a charge it will make like parts of the toad wiggle so that's galvanism and so it's a very new science well uh, not science but maybe like a technique that has been discovered with you know a le- this is the very beginning of uh, ele- electricity um being like stored for humans and uh being experimented with uh, because you know ben, ben Franklin, he just discovered it maybe uh, forty years
0: ago. At this point, the old key on the kite. Who could forget? Yep. It?
1: <laughs> Which <laughs> I don't know if it's entirely true, but what? you know, I, hey. I think he he had something to do with it. Hey, he that's just, one of my founding fathers. You're talking about, buddy. <laughs> hey, hey, I've uh, I've seen his house in Philly. It's uh, or where he grew up and ben franklin's pretty fun um some of his uh stuff that he did might be a little controversial he's a little promiscuous yeah he he did invite or invent the lightning rod which is pretty neat so he had a general understanding of electricity uh so yeah what you know one day all these people are talking and they're all trapped in this house in lake geneva switzerland like right on the lake And it's like a rainy, cold summer, uh, which is kind of weird. So they can't really do much except for, you know, exchange scary stories. And one night they're like, all right, who can write the scariest story? And everyone's kind of like writing pathetic stories. And then one night, Mary, she has a dream. And well, more of a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And she imagines a scientist that brings a dead body back to life. And the scientist is just horrified by his own creation. And so this would obviously inspire the story Frankenstein, which she wrote as a little short story for this horror competition at the age of 18. Awesome. So, yeah, very young. Well, I guess maybe for that time, it's just like, oh, you're 18. You got to... You gotta start dipping in your retirement account. Yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> Dead by twenty-five by natural causes. Um,
0: yeah, that's uh, actually one of the little tidbits I read in the beginning of my copy of the book said that um, her other friends that she was, you know, making these stories up with, they never ended up finishing theirs. So Mary Shelley's was actually the only, the only finished story out of the bunch.
1: Ah, you must have gotten the 1831 version. Don't remind me. (laughs) Yeah, because at first it starts off, like, as a short story, and she she does build on it. And, like, during this time when she's expanding on uh, the story, her half-sister commits suicide. Uh, The woman that was actually married to uh, her boyfriend... You know, because the man she's seeing had a marriage. Uh, She commits suicide as well. And this was all before it was actually published in 1818. So she just, she's in a very dark place uh, along with multiple miscarriages. So she's just surrounded by death. Yeah, just peppered with death. Yep. Um, Which at the time was common, but it seems like right when she's writing this book, it's just going downhill. Uh, And the book becomes a success. And, like, not necessarily overnight, but, I mean, once she publishes the 1831 version, uh, she makes a few changes. and But this is really when the volume, like, or the book takes off, is in, like, 1831. And it's pretty well known at this time. Uh, So people are just, like, itching to buy it and uh it becomes like a pretty good you know foundation for her she uh writes throughout the rest of her life and she eventually dies later in her life from a brain tumor but uh i mean this is one of the best books of all time it is regarded as like the first like modern science fiction novel and has just like inspired many different authors since so it's uh uh kudos to Mary Shelley.
0: Thank you for the work of art. Oh yeah, really kickstarting some shit. Yep. That's her life. Without further ado, shall we get into the decrepit tale of woe? <laughs> yes, yes please. Get into the creepy stuff. righty Our story begins through a series of shared letters between a man named Robert Walton and his sister, Margaret. Robert informs Margaret of his current trek to the North Pole in hopes of discovering what he, well, what I got, you know, from it. He was pretty much saying, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I just want to find something going up north because, you know. (laughs) Oh, that that was the thing. Like, back in the day, it was just like,
1: we're going to do a polar expedition. We don't know what we're going to find, but it seems like it's a huge thing throughout the 18 and uh,
0: 1900s. Yeah, that's what's funny, actually. I was just watching a video the other day on the HMS Terror and HMS Erebus. For anyone unaware, they went on a Arctic expedition in the 1800s. I think it actually probably happened after this book came out, but it was called the Franklin Expedition, and both of the ships... We're trying to find the northern passage in the North Pole to get from um, America to Europe quicker than just going around South America or whatever. And their ships got frozen in the ice and everyone died a horrible death. Uh, So that's kind of all I can think of when I'm reading about Robert going north. Uh, It's uncharted territory, you know. I guess I can't speak exactly for this point in the book. But like I said, I think it probably happened before all that stuff. So yeah they just had a giant blank spot on the map and there were plenty of people that were like uh i'm ready to fill that out for you we're coming for you santa um and robert specifies that his burning passion is pretty much the thing keeping him going even though he has no actual idea of where to land
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it'll kind of
0: mirror someone we'll meet shortly oh yeah Robert's second letter details the loneliness he feels being stuck on a giant ship with a crew of random people that uh, aren't really able to keep up with his, like, you know, scientific jargon and all that kind of crap during conversations and stuff like that. And Robert remarks on the fact that he's just so sad because he's in the middle of the ocean and, you know... You can't just find a new friend in the middle of the ocean, especially, you know, it's the North Pole, it's freezing cold, who the hell is just gonna, you know, pull by on a dog sled and ask to be pulled up on the (laughs) ship or something crazy like that, you know what I mean? The odds are slim to none, my friend.
1: And, uh... He just wants someone to read him the periodic table of elements before he goes to sleep. You Very know, guy scientific. or girl at this point. He's just like, oh, that's so nice. Uh, Einsteinium,
0: or whatever. <laughs> the newest element they just yeah. found. <laughs> yep. Robert's desire for adventure and personal discovery, however, lead him on his lonely expedition in the first place, you know, because, as we said... He's just so excited to find something. He's got this burning passion. He doesn't know what he wants to find or where he's going to find it or how long it's going to take. Because, once again, another thing that I learned from that story about that ship called the Terror was that these guys set out for five years at a time for, like, one job. And it's like, all right, maybe I'll see you again in a couple of years if I come back. No, that's why I call it Deadly catch. Yeah, there you go. Days or weeks or months into their journey, the ship is halted in the frozen water by a giant sheet of ice, and Robert uh, exits his bedchamber to find his crew marveling at a strange sight off the side of the ship in the form of a giant man being pulled by a dog sled, specifying that uh, this is a very odd fact for, you know, the reason that it's a giant man for one. For two, they're in the Arctic tundra. And for three, Robert was certain that they were miles and miles from any actual land. But sure enough, they see this giant guy being pulled, you know, by a, um, what do they call it? It's not a toboggan that they pull. Uh, that's a dog, dog sled. sled. Uh, but I thought that it had some fancy word. Maybe I'm just thinking of Iditarod.
1: Iditarod, that's the race. Yeah, yeah that's okay, the I race. thought so. Yeah, Robert. He's just basically saying, saying, like, to himself. He's, he's like, now I might be hallucinating, uh, but that might ju- that big man, this eight foot tall man, just might be my new best friend. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, excuse <laughs> me, sir, but can you keep up an intellectual
0: conversation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After another night of rest, Robert once again uh, wakes up to strange news. This being that along the side of the ship stands a man with a dog sled. But this is a different guy, because... Now there's two of them. Yeah. (laughs) Two best friends. (laughs) Because they're... Well, for one, the other guy was giant, like they said. And for two, this guy only has one remaining dog left. I'm not really sure how many dogs they would have pull a sled singularly, but they could tell that this guy, on top of just looking like hell, has also had a pretty arduous journey considering the fact that, yeah, he's down to one dog power instead of two or four or whatever. hmm The man standing before Robert is much more emaciated. And interestingly enough, although the man is clearly on the brink of death, With nothing but, you know, fields of snow for miles and miles around. He still inquires as to where Robert's ship is heading before deciding if he's going to board or not. And luckily, he's satisfied with Robert's answer. And after a few days spent recuperating, Robert is finally made privy to the story of the strange man who we will now... Referred to as Victor Frankenstein. Wow. Or Robert's best friend. new yeah. best friend. Robert's <laughs> new best pal, Vic. Uh, yeah. What an awesome way to start this story off, by the way. Once again, knowing literally only the pop culture idea behind this, you know, the giant man in the village being chased by by the people with the torches and all that crap, you know. I didn't know a single thing about... Uh, Just imagine how amazing it would be to be able to read this book with no previous knowledge. You're wondering who the hell this giant man is. What is he doing out in the middle of the tundra? And why is this guy a day's ride behind him? He's obviously heading in the same direction too, which should be noted. Yeah,
1: I I mean, I would imagine it'd be, like, for those that don't know that Darth Vader is Luke's father. You know, like, it's just...
0: Spoiler alert. Have not. Spoiler alert. Have not seen Uh, the Star Wars yet.
1: But I'd imagine it'd be on that level, you know. I mean, Frankenstein, the monster. Frankenstein's monster has been just so ingrained into pulp culture, you know, this... This uh, cold open, as we should call it. Cold. Uh, <laughs> um, it, uh, it's just very cool. It, it's like, there's something just so creepy about um, like an isolated, cold setting. And it just reminds me of like The Thing.
0: And... Oh, yeah. The John Carpenter classic. Yeah. The
1: mystery is just... Uh... Oh, it's it's awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. Victor's tale begins with his parents being named Alphonse and Carolyn. And the circumstances of their coming together, being that Alphonse has somewhat taken Carolyn in after the death of her father uh, being close friends with Alphonse, obviously before his death. And, you know, after them just hanging out a little bit and shooting the shit or whatever they get married. And shortly thereafter, they're blessed with a little tiny baby that they name Victor. Uh. The next part of the story gets a bit tedious as it splits off depending on, as Cole mentioned, if you're reading the original version from 1818 or the revised version from 1831, which unfortunately I learned I am reading the revised one, which I don't have a problem with. I think it's a good book so far, but I didn't know there were two versions and I would just prefer to read the original 10 times out of 10, you know what I mean? But as best I can tell, uh, this is the only deviation that there's been between, well, as far as I am into the book anyway. Yeah, if you
1: have a copy of Frankenstein, it's probably 90% certain. There's a 90% chance that it's the 1831
0: publication. That's the most common. Both of the stories have a different origin for a character that we'll come to know named Elizabeth with the 1831 version painting her as a blonde orphan girl discovered by Carolyn while she was on an Italian expedition. And she stopped in at this house full of poor people. And they could barely afford to feed themselves and their five kids or whatever. Their dark-haired kids, should we add. And Carolyn is awestruck by Elizabeth being this perfect little blonde angel in this crop of, you know, dirty, dark-haired people. I don't really know if that's actually how she felt about it. But, um she ended up taking Elizabeth in because the family, like we said, could barely afford to keep everyone else fed, let alone this extra child that we actually learn wasn't even one of their children in the first place. Victor and Elizabeth become fast friends and Victor describes a happy childhood surrounded by his parents, Elizabeth and his good friend, Henry Clerval in his teen years. Victor takes an intense interest in the sciences, uh, some being a little more kooky than the others, you know. Won't get too specific here, but instead of just, you know, paying attention to how birds fly and how mountains are formed and stuff, Victor's kind of interested in, like, the metaphysical stuff, you know, stuff that to this day is probably still referred to as a bit out there in the scientific community, if I had to guess. Yeah,
1: maybe... I, I think he was really, you know, into more of, like, the ph- philosophy side of science. Uh, maybe more of, like, the paranormal side, Yeah, right. Not like
0: quite... studying, like, ancient alchemy stuff. Yeah, maybe not so much trying to find answers to questions, but maybe, like, pondering where the answers come from in the first place, or, like, if an answer can even be postulated in the first place. Mm-hmm. Maybe. After constant studying, everything comes to a head when Victor witnesses a tree being decimated by a bolt of lightning one night during an awful storm, and though we're not sure what it is specifically about this experience that he finds so powerful, um... It turns him off of all of his, as we said before, his kind of occult-type studies. Seeing this tree, like I said, just get decimated. Really left an effect on this dude. Yeah, instead of uh, Newton and the apple, it's Victor and the lightning bolt in the tree. Oh, The dead yeah. tree. Yeah. At, at the age of 17, as Victor prepares to go to college in Ingolstadt... His mother falls ill to the scarlet fever, and Elizabeth tries her best to nurse her back to health, ultimately failing to save her life, with Carolyn's dying words uh, pretty much begging them to get married one day. Kind of weird, Mom. Honestly, Uh... you kind of do wonder about that stuff, because there's no blood relation there. But she brought this child home when she was very young. So think of that. These two being like pretty much brother and sister for 10 or 15 years. But Carolyn is still like, I want you two to be having babies.
1: (laughs) I know you went to kindergarten together. I know you went to first grade together. But uh, I want you guys to
0: tie the knot. Yeah. Victor leaves for college and, arriving in Ingolstadt, is told by a professor named Kremp almost immediately that all his time studying has been completely wasted on trivial and worthless drivel, which would be a real kick in the knackers, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Though Victor is persuaded more convincingly after attending a lecture by another professor named Waldman, a meeting between the two afterwards solidifies Victor to dedicate his um, personal pursuits to the sciences. Oh yeah, I used to be a follower of
1: Madame Blavatsky, Ooh, but now good name drop. I am,
0: I am all for Isaac. I love Isaac and his laws. After weeks or months or years of studying life and death in the form of autopsies and decomposition and learning everything his professors had to teach him, Victor sets out to breed new life. Hiding away in his apartment, blind to anything else in his life, he does just that. And... Oh, yeah. he. Th- this is kind of
1: the maybe if not the origin of like the mad scientist like oh and like like the disturbed
0: artist kind of thing very nice uh Uh, yeah i'm actually very glad you mentioned the mad scientist thing because i thought it was so funny uh i'll give a bit of a personal story here i i'll read my book during my breaks at work and the copy of the book I happen to have has a um, painting from 1775 on it called mm. The Wounded Philocities or Philostities or something like that. And it is a large naked man and he's holding his foot. And that's the painting. I'm not really sure if it'll be referenced at some point as we continue through the book or something like that but i was getting a lot of funny looks reading this thing a lot of people asking (laughs) me what i was reading there's this renaissance painting on the front but unfortunately um it's just a naked man so that's all people see they thought that i was reading smut (laughs) on the job or something like that and i promise you i couldn't tell what was going on at first until three or four people asked what the hell are you reading And for one, (laughs) get a little culture, people. I'm talking right to you. Yeah. And for two, this specific event happening made me look up what other copies of the book had looked like. And I actually much prefer my cover because a lot of the other ones I saw had, as you just name dropped, um... The guys in the test, or in the labs with the beakers and the bubbling test tubes standing by the corpse. And not only do I like my cover just because it's a little cooler, but I like that I'm going to be able to paint a mental image completely for myself. But I really do love the idea, as you just said, of the creation of the mad scientist idea. This guy who is a complete genius, but you know doesn't care for humans or something like that and he stays tucked away in his laboratory for months on end not seeing sunlight it's just it's very cool yeah
1: I I think his his mom died and you know he's studying the sciences and he's kind of like well I'm gonna study the you know the science of life and death but I'm gonna lock myself up because that's how I'm gonna deal with uh my depression
0: wow Uh, now that is an awesome observation
1: maybe i don't know maybe i'm overanalyzing but yeah victor totally you know he's just like really passionate he he comes off a little cocky i think in some parts he's like i'm so smart i'm so rich (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, but now he's just doing a full 180 and
0: yeah he's isolating himself from everybody Oh, yeah. After months of labor, Victor does exactly what he set out to do, but is horrified at his own creation, clocking in at over eight feet tall and sutured with yellow skin stretched so as to show the arteries and other workings of the body beneath, and he flees from the scene to find another room to sleep in. Um, very interesting how understated this part in the book is. He literally goes... I think I'm going to create some life. And then he does it. And that yeah. happens in the first 60 or 70 pages of the book. Yeah. And, and like, before this, he,
1: he is, you know, he is digging up some graves. He's, like, oh, yeah. examining all these bodies. And he's really getting into uh, decomposition and what happens. Uh-huh. Um, and eventually he just comes up with, uh, yeah, this this creation that that he's so passionate
0: about oh yeah
1: for now (laughs) oh yeah
0: we pretty much see that he immediately starts singing a different tune when the thing opens its eyes and looks at him yeah after nightmares about his family members he wakes up to find the monster standing alongside his bed flashing at him a ghoulish grin and victor leaves his apartment and paces the courtyard obviously afraid of his personal abomination Hmm. Um, you know some people just aren't cut out to be parents yeah
1: yep especially for ugly children yeah you know this you know you would never want your ugly child to uh wake you up just smiling at you yeah that's me running <laughs> <laughs> to be fair I'm gonna be completely honest here I
0: just don't want someone staring at me while I sleep in general you know what I mean yeah, yeah, but only the, only the ghosts can do that. <laughs> Walking into a local inn, Victor is greeted by his aforementioned friend, Henry Clairvall, um, who ushers Victor back to his apartment. And Victor is real relieved to find no sign of the creature inside his, his apartment and immediately goes into a nervous breakdown and for the next few months is nursed back to health by his old acquaintance and is given a letter uh, by his friend when he's actually completely healthy. Uh, The letter coming from Elizabeth being that um, she's very concerned for him because he shut himself in for so long, and he's known for keeping up with his family and corresponding regularly, but they just haven't heard a single thing in months. And I think it's kind of interesting here actually to note that Victor has to be nursed back to health for just about every reason. You know he's got to be emaciated. He's spent so much time alone that he could use a little uh, a little face time with people and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, his good his good buddy Henry is right there for him. <laughs> and uh, this is kind of off track, but the the
1: reason why uh, Frankenstein is like, or the monster is so big, I'm gonna get that slaughtered so many times. Oh yeah, uh, it, it's Frankenstein's monster throughout the
0: novel. Maybe um, maybe it, we could give him a nickname right now. Uh, you want to just call uh, him Frankie? Scary Frankie? Scary Sc- Frankie? Scary Frankie? Perfect. There you go. Uh, it's been canonized. And the reason.
1: and the reason why he's so big is because uh victor couldn't get the like small details right when it came to like uh animating i guess or like uh, so he had to like enlarge it so he could work on it better but yeah that's why he's so big
0: that's another really good detail that i completely missed because i have wondered other than for the sake of making a big scary monster who as we said will affectionately be referred to as scary frankie from now on on top of (laughs) Just being large for the sake of, like, oh, what a ghoulish sight my eyes behold. That's uh, It's really cool that there was actually a specific idea. And actually, uh, while we're getting off track, I, uh, I had a specific quote from the book um, from Frankenstein as he's telling a story to Robert that I just thought was super cool. Okay. This is before he gets to the part where he actually animates the corpse, but Victor says wealth was not an inferior object but what glory would attend the discovery if I could banish disease from the human frame and render man invulnerable to any but a violent death hmm it's pretty rock and roll right there that's pretty goth
1: yeah yep and uh, I, I remember one quote too where he, uh, throughout when he's, like, narrating, because this is from Victor's uh,
0: point of view. Yes. Point of the story. I wish that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, but I should have mentioned that up top. Everything that we've told past Victor getting on the boat has been a story told directly from Victor to Robert Walton. Yeah, yep.
1: Um, so very very neat, and... Uh, yeah, Victor like before he's making this thing, he's talking about like, oh, I'm going to you know, science is made to make discoveries of the known and he's like he's excited for it, but he also has duality about it where he's also like informing the reader that uh this is going to be this is going to turn out bad. Like there's this uh horror that I just uh I'm running away from Ooh. and uh, so at, at the same time, he's like, yeah, I'm very uh, excited about science. But at the same time, I was kind of messing with fire. Uh, you know, yeah. I was playing God. And I, he had one quote where he was like, you know, some things uh, you, you just can't play God with. And
0: uh, he's definitely playing with God when he creates this being. A, so. a very interesting cautionary tale. Yeah. Another part of the letter that victor's uh well elizabeth sent to victor another part of it that i forgot to mention was that it also told of a girl named justine Moritz returning to their home after the death who we're going to learn as a family friend pretty much Mm -hmm. victor introduces henry to his college professors but is ill at the sight of any of the laboratory instruments and is even pained while speaking to the men in the first place just because he's clearly got, like, PTSD from creating this hulking yellow rotten beast. Which, I could see something like that happening, but honestly, I couldn't see myself animating a corpse back to life in the first place because it sounds like a lot of work. Oh, yeah. He yeah. Deci- and smelly. Oh, my God. He decides <laughs> to take a little break from Ingolstadt and, it, uh, and informs his father that he will be reforming or returning to his hometown or whatever it would be called at the time of Geneva, but waits for his father's return letter uh, for a departure date. So here we go, talking about Mary Shelley. Victor and his friend Henry decide to take a nice trip into the country in the meantime to get away from it all and oh yeah uh, victor is always out in the country taking the sights in and just marveling at the wonders of nature which like i said i think is a very nice uh part of the entire book
1: yeah it'll come up uh multiple times actually like just this idea of a little nature retreat which is this is a romantic romantic book uh meaning like it's from the romanticism era right and uh i feel like nature definitely goes hand in hand with that stuff so oh yeah just get away Love from it nature. all take a few days yeah. off get away from your personal monsters Yo. mm-hmm, your personal <laughs> demons mm-hmm.
0: yeah. upon his return victor is given a letter from his father informing him of the grisly death of his younger brother henry whose corpse shows obvious signs of strangulation And Victor heads for home immediately. Being that Geneva's gates are shut at a certain point in the night, Victor obviously returns past the gates being closed. And since he's uh, unable to immediately enter, he instead walks the grounds around the gate, which just so happens to actually be right where well, right near where his brother was killed. And Mm. in the dark night, Victor spots what can only be his own horrific creation, and immediately suspects the creature of murder. Um, mm. Once again, the Vic, uh, the the creature that we are calling Scary Frankie. He thinks that <laughs> he sees Frankie skulking in the woods, and why shouldn't he think that? I guess you know, just yeah, this child was murdered in cold blood. The next morning, though Victor is certain of his monster's misdoing, he's informed that the aforementioned Justine Moritz, uh, who we said had just recently returned back to Geneva, um, is accused of the murder. And the biggest piece of evidence they have is that when they rounded her up or whatever, she had a picture of Carolyn Frankenstein, you know, being Victor and Henry's mom and Alphonse's wife, and she had that picture in her pocket, which was actually in possession of William, and Ooh. William is actually his brother's name. I called him Henry a minute ago, but William mm. Frankenstein is the murdered brother of Victor. Yeah. And Victor, being tortured by his personal feelings of guilt for... Creating the creature that he suspects of doing the murder uh, obviously can't explain anything to anyone because imagine that you know uh, it wasn't this tiny girl actually it was this uh, it was this eight foot monster I created out of rotting flesh and you know well (laughs) yeah I got a little carried away with that one honestly I'm gonna be the first one to admit it
1: (laughs) call me crazy but. I had fun. I, I really did. But, Honestly, uh, you hate to see you hate to see a good time ruined by this. Uh, yup. Sorry, sorry, little Willie, but <laughs> you know, it, it was obvious. It was obviously, um, you know, it wasn't my creation. Mm-hmm. You know, but, wasn't mine. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. <laughs> Being that there's no irrefutable evidence proving otherwise, though, unfortunately, Justine confesses to the crime. As to gain salvation, but admits her own personal innocence to Victor and Elizabeth. Victor's Uh. guilt is increased when he hears that Justine is executed for the crime. And that Uh. is where we will pick back up next week with part two of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Wow you guys did not expect this to
1: turn into a who done it yeah a murder uh, mystery but maybe maybe we can uh, piece together some of the puzzle, uh, puzzle pieces here right uh but um maybe it'll be explained further down the road but maybe yeah um yeah very very fun story uh, oh yeah yeah great job with the outline why thank you um there are, there's just so many cool parts about this book that I could talk about for a long time. Um, and I'm excited to do but, just
0: that. Oh, yeah. Um, yep, so, Did you have any specific thoughts that you wanted to get to before we wrapped this whole thing up? Or is there any, oh, as we always say, we look at the books from completely different perspectives. Just, it comes naturally, clearly. But it's so awesome that, even though it's speculation, I love that you think that Victor dealing with his grief is not only tucking himself away from humanity for months on end, but also creating life. I just think that's incredible.
1: Isolation is definitely a big theme of this book. Uh, And death, obviously. There's a lot of death in this. And how to handle grief... You know, and we're not we're not saying you should take the Victor Frankenstein route. nope and create uh, a reanimated corpse. As you can see, that does not solve your grief.
0: Yeah, let's so... just get that out of the way right here so that no one no one comes sniffing around a few years down the road trying to pin us for old audio recordings. The Bad Apple Book Club. Does not stand for reanimation of corpses. Yeah, we we condemn everything that
1: comes along with it too. Yeah, uh, which is grave robbing. Yeah, um, which is not cool. No, but, uh, yeah. I, I I mean, this is uh, you know, we all know the Frankenstein. Uh, the, you know, arms up and he's just... Yep. Uh, hey, and that's like all people think about. But there's so much more to this character, to this book, to Victor Frankenstein. Uh, it's just that the, you you don't know how to feel for uh, Victor. You know, you just kind of conflicted.
0: Right. And I won't give too much away, but I'll try to titillate the listeners a bit here by saying... That we're also gonna learn that there's a lot more to the monster than we might expect, but I'm gonna leave it at that. Yeah, yep, yeah. and um
1: yeah, just gotta find out on uh, next week's episode of the modern Prometheus. Oh yeah, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. That is, there's always this uh, reference to light. So yeah, there's a. There's a light in next week's episode. I
0: look forward to it. Um, Oh, yeah. But until then, why don't you go? I'm done asking people, honestly. Not that it's that big a deal, but I'm done asking people to follow us on the Instagram. If you're listening to this, go do it right now. I don't care if you don't care. Just go follow us. You know what I mean? Um These days, the only thing that matters to the sane man is follower count. So, let's just get that one bumped up. Um, If you were listening, or if you have been listening, thank you so much. Um, We appreciate it. Yep, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And otherwise... Unless you had anything else to say, Cole. I'm just going to say, peace out. I'm going to say, don't mess with fire. Don't play God. Yeah, don't play God, guys. It's not good. Bye. It turns out good. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. With that podcast, you call me. Of course. You know, oh, yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>